Do you think that you could write a safer? Not a pamphlet or glorified countress, but a real safer, 400 pages with depth and breadth. You might be thinking to yourself, no way, not me. I'm too busy with work and family, and I don't know nearly enough to tackle such a project. Well, how about this? Do you think that you could write a 20-page essay over the next year? Spend a few months researching, gathering sources, and taking notes. Then spend a few months writing up those notes in the form of an essay. Then rinse and repeat every year. That doesn't sound so crazy, does it? And today's guest, Zivi Mendelssohn, followed this path over the course of 20 years. He has a full-time job, a family, and now a 570-page safer on a variety of subjects. In this episode, you will not only receive practical tips and advice, but you will also be inspired by hearing about the effects of this safer, not just in the completed product, but in the journey as well. I'm Yaakov Wolf, and this is Stark Tank. Okay, Zivi Mendelssohn, thank you so much for joining and welcome to our show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Yakov. Thank you for having me. Zivi, could you introduce yourself to our listeners who may not know you yet? Sure, sure. So my name is Ziv Mendelssohn. Most people call me Zivi. Uh, I moved to Israel about 14 and a half years ago. I was, I'm originally from Los Angeles. When I was in high school, my parents moved to Englewood, New Jersey. And, uh, and when I lived there for many years, I finished my high school years at Trish, and then was in Karen for a year and a half in NYU. And uh, my wife is from Miami, um, from the cement family. Some people may know some of the cements. And, uh, and then we lived in New York for many years. We lived in New York. We lived in New York. We lived in Riverdale. We lived in Manhattan. We actually lived in Israel for one year, kind of a honeymoon year. Um, and then we lived in Teaneck for many years till we made Aliyah. And all our kids were born in Teaneck. I have three boys and a girl in that order. And uh, we moved, like I said, about 14 and a half years ago to Ranana, straight to Ranana. We have Mishpasa. My wife's sister has been living here for 30 years. I have a lot of close friends here. And then since then, all of my immediate family lives in Israel, most of them in Ranana, actually, including my parents. And what do you yeah. do for a living? So professionally, I still continue doing what I was doing uh, basically in the States with a little bit of an expansion. Um, I basically work brokering merchandise between manufacturers in China, mostly their base overseas in China. And we broker merchandise from uh, them to retailers in the United States. So, for example, manufacturers of toys or furniture or housewares or certain kitchen items um, that we sell. We're basically a sales arm for those manufacturers to retailers in the U.S. And the goods get shipped directly from China to the United States. We don't take possession in between. Um, and then since I've been in Israel, I've been started working with one wholesaler in Israel, a toy wholesaler in Israel. So we've been able to move some goods both from China and the U.S. to Israel. And I've also become involved in the last several years with an all-natural supplement. It's a supplement for hair growth, which was actually invented by a scientist here in Yerushalayim, which we got patented in the United States. So basically in a consumer, consumer products. So we're here to talk about the safer that you wrote. It's called Malayim Ziv, Unim, Klakiros, and Joshos. And you talk in Akdam about the origins of the safer. So if you share with us that story, it starts with a Hanukkah gift. Can you tell us about that? Sure. Uh, basically, it's an honor. I appreciate your, your interest. Um, Years ago, actually, it was during that honeymoon period when my wife and I were here for a year. We knew we were only coming for a year at that point, but um, I was working a little bit, then I got to learn grow. So it was kind of it was a unique period. And my wife, Rokhanika, that year bought me one of these notebooks that people have seen. Those uh, like COVID's Kudu Shaitar, which are basically a muff there, and it's a blind safer, but it looks nice on the outside with the cover. And she gave that to me, Rokhanika, that year, and that's uh, about 25, 20, 25 years ago or so. 
And I started, that kind of was an impetus. I really have to, you know, give it the credit as the, and I'm giving credit for a lot of things, but that was impetus for me to start to write. I had this map right and I would write, divrei Torah here and there. And then over the years, it started to grow. And I always kind of had this dream. Maybe one day I put on a safe, even I feel like, who am I? And well, who might I be doing such a thing? But I felt like, you know, I would, I would start to write things, but I would, then it started evolved really to be more essays, not, not as much a vort here and there. I had some of that a little bit, but it started to really quickly evolve into essays. And I would try to draw things on things that I'd learned and heard from different, uh, from different Rebbein, which we'll talk about in a moment. And then over the years, I would start from that notebook. I still have that notebook here. Yeah. Then I would get other notebooks. And then over the course of time, I would fill up more notebooks. I kept a lot of uh, notes and index cards and different thoughts that I had or things I wanted to connect. I would try to flesh out the essays and I, that's kind of where it started from. And over the course of, you know, for many, probably about 20 years, I would write, you know, I never had a set deadline in my mind that by such and such date or such and such a birthday, I'm going to have the safer out. But I just hope one day Hashem would be, um, as I can be, to be able to put it out. So I would just keep writing, sometimes more, sometimes less, but it was always something that was part of my life. I would hear something and I would just write down and I have a bag, you know, Ziploc bags, a little pitakim, you know, little notes where I'd say, okay, look up this source connected to this, look at this connected to that. And then it would kind of, I'd start organizing a little more into index cards, into little notebooks with kind of outlines. And that's, that's kind of where it grew from. Do you remember the first, so, Torah, the first idea that you started writing about? I, one of the first ones, maybe it's one of the first ones was, um, I remember at my Shabba Brachat, I had heard my wife's rabbi, her community's rabbi, Mordechai Shapiro Zatzal. He was a Talmud Mubak of the Varn Cutler. He was from the original Lakewood, Chavusa Ravel Yisrael. He was really from, uh, you know, an incredible time. And I remember him speaking at my Sheva Brachat in Miami, where we got married in Miami, and he quoted a beautiful thought on um, why, I think it was from the Mabit. Well, I actually have a quote in the Sefer. We talked about why we say, okay, Avram, okay, Yitzchak, okay, Yaakov. Why don't we say, okay, Avram, Yitzchak, okay, Yaakov. They talked about how everybody has to personalize their relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. So it's okay, Avram and Yitzchak found his own way, okay, Yitzchak, okay, Yaakov. And, uh, and that's, and I remember he quoted at that time, he also connected it to the Gemara that says, uh, you know, that after may have asked me when we get to the LMS and we're asked the questions, uh, and one of the questions that we're asked is Nasata Venatata Bermuna. And the board that he brought was that, you know, that it said, the Pashupshan is that Nasata Venatata Bermuna, did you do business? Nasau Matan, you know, honorably, honestly. But it also means Nasata Venatata Bermuna, did you engage in matters of Emuna? Did you wrestle with your matters of Emuna and be no save and attain? Not with with faith, literally in in matters of faith, and that, that kind of connected to them. That each person has to find their relationship. So that was one thought I remember that was early on, and he brought that into other areas. And that's I think one of, maybe the first, or certainly one of the first things that I wrote. Because actually, we went to Israel. Oh, maybe it was two years after I got married. So so kind of in my mind, and I, I use that as a piece actually in the safer. It's connected to one of the essays. Okay, so you mentioned that the safer started with a notebook in Gris and. It snowballed over the course of 20 years till the publication date. So I want to talk about that period, that long journey that you had from the origins until the safe fair actually came to print. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Stark Take. This podcast addresses the unique challenges and opportunities of being a mentor in the workforce. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of our episodes and want to help us grow the show, please give us a five-star rating and a review on your podcast app. It's a small gesture that makes a big impact. And now back to Stark Tank. You are a businessman. You do a nice amount of traveling. So Chazal tell us that Talmud Torah is a mitzvah that has to happen and Kriya Shema is a mitzvah that has to happen. What types of routines did you develop at different points in that journey to help you, encourage you to focus and give the right energies and efforts to your writing? 
Yeah. So, I mean, in general, it's a very important topic. And I, you know, I know it's something very close to your heart and is, is so critical. And I think it's, uh, you know, in terms of how do you build, balance your life and your schedule and uh, learning Biflal, if you want to write as well, how do you balance that and juggle with work responsibilities, family responsibilities, you know, you have children and that takes, you know, time, you know, the, you know, certainly is a priority. Um, I would say that I think overall, and, and, you know, we'll discuss how it ties into the writing as well, is that, you know, just always having in your mind kind of what your goal is and that that's something that you want to be part of your house and part of your life. And, um, you know, the, like I said, there are different demands, but as long as that's something that's always central, some people are better in the morning hours and they can get up early and learn. And some people at the end of the night, I was typically more of a night, I am typically more of a night person. And so I would say that, you know, even with traveling and I did travel, I do, you know, since Corona has been a little less, but in general, I've traveled a lot and, uh, and I probably will get back somewhat more to that routine, but, um, taking advantage, always making sure that it's a part of your, your schedule. Let's say at home, when you're Bevet Tafa, like you said, it's, uh, you know, I'd say I always had a goal, even to today, and things that I'd like to learn. And I even follow, you know, the Gemara and Kedushan that says, uh, split your time into thirds and learn Mikra, Mishnah, Talmud. So I try to, you know, have goals of what I want in each area. That also, I've had a lot of encouragement from, from my Rebbe, Rav Shaptoshlita, where he talks about, I mean, talks about, you know, what are the things that we need to learn? And you certainly, you know, we, we can't even begin to approach your ways, but the importance of, Sifre Tanas and Gemara and Mishnah and, and covering Allah. So you try to, as much as you can, I think it is important to draw as much as you can on those different notes. So you feel like you're, um, you know, covering things in, in a variety of Chalkei uh, of Torah. And, uh, and I would do, I mean, in terms of my own schedule, I would say when I lived in the States, probably most of my time learning was at night. Um, I typically learn more on my own than I did by Chabrusa. I've had Chabrusa's, you know, here and there over the years and different people, but I typically, also because of my schedule, and working with China, so sometimes my hours were a little bit shifted. Blueprint suppliers there. I would try to, you know, I, I was always more, more, uh, you know, uh, more consistent learning on my own. And so I would do it then, let's say, in, in the evening hours mostly. What I did traveling, that actually I always found is a big breath. And this is also perceived when you could get Wi-Fi on an airplane. And I still don't do it today. I, in rare occasions when I turn on Wi-Fi, because I feel like it's a real matana from a Kanish world. And you can be disconnected, like we see on Shabbos, how incredible it is. And to be disconnected and to have that time. And when I would travel from the States to Hong Kong, that's like 15 and a half hours. So you have all that time in the air in the sky where you're not connected. You can't be on a phone. You can't be on your computer in terms of at least in real time. And what I would do, and this kind of ties into the writing. So writing was always something that I would do in balance. Sometimes I'd be learning more other things, sometimes more connected to the writing, sometimes independently. But that was always something I tried to juggle as well. So you spoke a little bit about your routines at home and finding time at nights. and Later, when you came on Aliyah, a little more in the mornings, you mentioned that to me in our conversation beforehand, but you also spent a lot of time traveling. So now we transition to Chavadera. So how did you leverage that time for the sake of your learning and sake of your writing? Just since I moved to Israel, I have found that that's been a big, Aliyah is important in many regards, and maybe we'll touch on that as well. But certainly having a more, I've had more flexibility in the first part of my day being here, because even though I'm on real time with China, so I have a couple hours that I could be in touch with them. And then the states start a little later. So that's been, I would never really been able to put out, it would have taken, I don't know how long it would have taken me to put out this safer had I not moved to Israel. So I really felt that that was part of Akiyama and Aliyah as well, was having more time in the morning to be able to learn uh, before the workday starts in the states and having more time to, uh, to write then as well. In terms of traveling, so when I would travel on the airplane, whether it was from the states to China, uh, or from here, from Israel to the States. I mean, uh, up until recently, I would travel. Sometimes I'd make eight, nine, 10 trips a year. Um, 
to the States. And, uh, and so I always found being on a plane as a real bracha to have that time where you're disconnected from everything. And, uh, you know, I try not to, like I said, rare occasions, uh, to connect to Wi-Fi. I prefer to, you know, to go with the way it's supposed to be, you know, the way it, it was in the olden days where you have to be connected every second and now. And what I would typically do is I always saw that as a real matana for learning, but also for the writing. It was critical for my writing time because I would take with me, I would take a carry-on bag on Svarim. Oftentimes I would spend time before the trip, leading up to the trip, photocopying pages from different Svarim because I knew I didn't want to carry everything with me and I wasn't going to access things online. So I would take things with me that I knew I wanted to write about. And I would just sit and I would always try to be careful so I wouldn't try to, you know, I don't want to keep on the light. It might disrupt other people. But when a timing was right, I would sit and that was something, or a lot of times on a computer, it was just the light of my computer and I would just be typing there. And I could use, I remember using the light of the computer to look at the safe or the pages that I had. And I would use that as a very important time for it because you just have that quiet where you could focus. And I usually found that I could get done in those hours. What would take me four or five months to do at home, I could do on one business trip. I also used to take advantage of jet lag. Jet lag was very helpful to me because I remember I could think of many trips where I'd come to New York from Israel and I would wake up at three o'clock in the morning and, you know, okay, that's it. My body's up and I would jump to the computer and I would just start writing and I'd say, okay, you know what? I'm here for four or five days. I don't care if I sleep more, if I sleep less. And uh, many times those, a lot of those trips were huge uh, boosts to on a writing front to being able to, to move things along much quicker than I would have been otherwise. So we spoke about your routines at home a little bit. We spoke about your routines on the road a little bit. I want to talk about your motivation throughout that time. 20 is a very long time to sustain a project. Oftentimes we're used to a lot shorter time frame. So how do you go about motivating yourself? Were you setting smaller incremental goals that kept you moving? Were there other things that you did to keep yourself moving along the track? It's a long, long marathon. So some people say with running a marathon, run just to the next street pole. Don't try to think about the 26 miles ahead of you. I would say... Right. In terms of, I say, oh, even though this was something that was over many years, uh, the way I, I thought that I would stay with it, it was always a goal that I had. I think it's very important in learning in general to have goals um, and that things you strive for. And so whether you, uh, whether it's every day, I, I'd love to learn X amount a day. And if sometimes you don't hit it, you know, then you may not hit it. But, but to have some kind of a benchmark of where you'd like to, of what you'd like to do. And, and, you know, I see for myself, sometimes if I don't get to everything I want to do, you, you know, you kind of feel like you were missing something over the day. Um, so I think it's important to have goals in general and you want, whether somebody's doing that, yeah. whether someone's a parent or not, whether, whatever the different goals are. And in writing, I had the same goals as well. I just, I always wanted to take, to keep moving along. Again, I think part of what kept me moving over the 20 years was, again, I didn't have like a deadline, a publisher's deadline, where I didn't say I need to have advice. It was just like a dream at some point at all. So, if, you know, but then what happened was at a certain point. So that's kind of what kept me motivated. I have to give a lot of credit. You know, my Rebbe, I mentioned before, Shastel, who I would, continue to listen to Sherman from and, you know, covers so many different areas when you hear him that, it, you know, that also was always tremendous because inevitably, you know, anything he would talk about, there'd be something that would connect to a topic that I was thinking of. And so it would always keep me engaged in different things that I would, um, you know, that, that I was thinking of or would be in my mind. And, and I found a lot of Siaka Deshmaya, aside from other, in, in, in many ways, in terms of uh, putting it together, but like I would be, my head would be a lot of times I had, I mean, I even told a story, actually, I told an introduction of the same class. You see, after this, my, in terms of things coming my way that were just, uh, the timing was best. Shared. So for example, I was going to a wedding of a friend and I happened to be driving someone who I who was an old childhood friend. I'm not usually with him. He just happened to ask me for a ride. I probably haven't seen him for a number of years before. And he said, oh, I know you're going to an old high school friend's wedding. 
can I get a ride with you? And we were driving. This is years ago, you know, well over 20 years ago. And he said to me, while we were driving, he said to me, he's learning Dafyomi. And, uh, and he said to me, you know, yeah, you're learning Dafyomi. I haven't been learning something then. I wasn't doing Dafyomi. I said, oh, that's interesting. I said, you know, there's this one thing. And in my head, I was writing about a certain topic and I wanted to look up. And I'm pretty old fashioned looking up sources. I'm not as proficient on now. Otara Postgame, Otara Sparring, those, those sites. And um, I even use a Comprodancia for a lot of things going back. People know what those are, uh, you know, for, for Tamas. But anyway, I remember saying to him, oh, just out of curiosity, I didn't tell him why my motivation and asking. I said, do you ever hear of a certain den that had to do with a, a non-Jew bringing a Corbin? He goes, oh, that was a Daf Yomi yesterday or the day before. He goes, it's on Daf such and such. And I was like, I looked up at this guy and said, what are these? I happen to be driving him who I don't usually see at all. And it was just a Daf Yomi of the day or two before it was a topic that. So I would see a lot of things along the way, these signals that would keep me, you know, like these signs of, you know, keep at it, keep at it. I got a lot of things that also at some point when I finally realized I wanted to start to bring it towards publication because I realized, you know, let me see if I have enough material to So Rav Shefta was very, I got a lot of things from him. I remember telling him about it. Actually, we were driving in Israel from Ranana to Yerushalayim. He was going back and I had a chance to drive him. And I brought it up. I, I felt uncomfortable even. I said, you know, Rebbe, I don't even want to, you know, who am I to even tell you? I'm writing something and learning. I mean, I'm talking in front of someone of Roshakta's stature. And he said, you got to do it. You got to do it. Do it for your family, for your friends. It's important to do it. And he gave me such music because it's important. You'll send me when you're ready to to publish it. You'll send me a copy. And then I remember seeing him about six months later, eight months later in Israel, in Yerushalayim. And I went over to talk to him. He said to me, what's happening with the citizens? How things coming along? I thought, well, I can't believe he, who am I that you should even remember when and so things like that gave me a tremendous amount of hazard and to say, okay, you know, let me do it. And like I said, on the one end, I felt uncomfortable because I know if I'm going to put it in front of someone like, like Rav Shifter, but I just kind of, I said, so my motivation, one thing I will say as a motivation, I never wrote and intended this to be, I wasn't looking to become an author. I, I'm not really the people that are really of the level that, that should be publishing. And so really my motivation was, you know, if I had this for my family and, um, and my kids, please God, use it. And then that, okay. And, then, and originally I thought it was just going to be at that scale. And I said, if I'm already publishing, I may as well do it, you know, do it right. And then I may as well publish more copies and this and that. But that was really my motivation. Like some people said, that, oh, maybe this, and maybe you go to this publishing. And I said, listen, I never, that's not my motivation. I'm not that person. I'm not ready to be that person. And uh, and so for me, if it's just, you know, like I said, if my family reads it, then then I'm happy. And Bazea, you know, uh, so... But it's but it's keeping those goals in mind. Sorry, going back to the original thing, it's keeping those goals. I want to do this for some time, and so not letting too much time go by without being active. And you mentioned that at a certain point, you started to realize that this would become an actual safer. I don't know. I look at the safer; it's five hundred seventy pages. If it were me, at two hundred fifty pages, I would say, "Let's get Kara Olive out there." I've been working on this for so long already. Is there a reason why you decided to wait until you had such a massive amount of content to have such a big, substantial safer? It's an interesting question. Why, why I waited till that point to those so many topics? Um, I kind of, those were all things I think that were just so close to my heart or, or things I thought about or worked on that I really wanted to make sure I got, I don't know if I'd have a chance to put out another safer. And I said, you know, let me kind of put this in. What, what this happened towards the end, and I had an editor that I worked with. I said, I do have an editor and he would look and say, okay, no, this is, you know, uh, now we've got, you know, uh, along the way we'd say, okay, well, this is enough. And, you know, I mean, this would be a big enough, size or the right size and that. Um, what I did start to realize as I went through the editing process that there were other things I did want to write about. And actually I do have something that's in the works so please God will be soon. It will be smaller than this volume, but it's another one of other topics I want to write. And I said, you know, let me leave some things, please God. And that also is a motivation for another 
Yeah. But I think it was really with this volume, there were things that not knowing if I would put on another volume um, and just topics that had been so much in my mind or I'd worked on and felt so close to that I kind of wanted to make sure they were all in here. And uh, and that's how, how that happened. One cute thing I will tell you is that when I, the paper was published, I noticed that on the binding on the outside, there was one star on the back, which I didn't remember that being in any of the Hadmayot, uh, you know, any of the rendition. And I said to the editor, Moshe Gross, I said, what's that thing on the, on the binding? What's that one that? He goes, we put that there because that'll give you motivation. That's thing like all of that you have to put out another thing. Like I said, that's pretty sneaky, but it's a very good tactic. So um, I remember saying, I think I may have only seen it when it was actually published. Then I noticed that little, that one thing on the back. Just, so if I understand correctly, you didn't want to risk some of these topics not being into a future volume. You said these ones are going to be in the safer, even if it only ends up being the only one. Right. So I, I did, I wanted to make sure that I had, I very much wanted these topics to all be in in case this would be the only volume. And, uh, and that, that's, I guess, was a big part of it. And, um, and I thought that there was something, you know, also there was, you know, I have it broken up into separate, separate sections. So I felt okay, I had to stay like on the holidays, stay like on part, not every partial, but certain partials, um, stay like on, you know, more overarching things as I'll summon more on mitzvah and things of that sort. So I kind of also wanted to make sure that there was a representation in each grouping. And uh, so it wasn't just like a lonely essay one or two. I you mentioned the different topics and the format of the safer. So could you go through the way you structured the safer? What were the topics that you felt were important to have in here and how you built the table of contents? Okay. Um, yeah. So the topics that I chose to put in were things that I feel are very yesodic, things that I felt that, you know what, if I, I want my kids, if I could give over something to my kids that I felt is important, that I've been so had to learn from my and for my learning that I want, that I felt is important for my kids to know and to, uh, and to just, I mean, I remember even just as one little anecdote, my second son, who's actually serving in, it was just serving in Gaza. Is out for a little bit and, you know, Kodesh Baruch Hashem watch over all the soldiers. I remember when he was learning after high school here in Israel and uh, one of the, te one of his Ravain came over to me. I sounded like a band, like an open house for parents. And he came over to me and said, you should know after I gave Shir one day, your son came over to me and said, oh, by the way, my father wrote about that topic uh, in the Sefer. And that to me was a great sense of Nachad is to see that they looked, whether they told me or not, they had looked in it, but that they, that they knew. So I, that was really my motivation is that, that my children should see what's important to me and if I can leave this over. You try to give over at the table. You try to give over through your interaction with your kids. But I felt also that I wanted to codify it and write it down, kind of kishulchan orals, that it's organized. I didn't want to leave a mess of notes after 120. I said, let me put it together. So that's really my primary motivation. What are ideas in Yahadus that I feel are important that I'd like my kids to know and their kids, God willing, and on? So that's really the anemishutaf, I would say, the common denominator of the different, uh, the different essays that are in there. And I tried in many of them to really touch on some of them, for example, the first section, which is on Yonim B'Mitzvah. So I touched on different mitzvah, specific mitzvah, uh, writing, mitzvah writing a Sefer Torah, mitzvah of Tefillin, mitzvah of Brismila, the mitzvah of Ha'alach walking the ways of God. And in, those, in each of those essays, what I tried to do, because I wasn't writing it, this is not a Shalom's and Shuvah Sefer, but I tried to, um, I tried to give a halachic overview and then go into a hashkafic sense of those of those myths, of those myths. And those are myths, I felt that there were ideas that, that could, that are really yom yom. That's the other thing. Foundational and things that really you can live with and that you can think about throughout the course of your life. So it's not just a one-time idea that maybe you learn that was like, but things that you could come back to. And as you get to certain mitzvahs or certain holidays that, that hopefully will resonate, I hope, you know, with my children, with my family. And, uh, you know, and I felt that way for myself. 
So that's really kind of, you know, the thread or my motivation in those topics or things and lessons that I felt were important to pass along that I felt were important. It's really interesting how you mentioned that the very first idea that you wrote about going way back to your cerebral host was about the personalization of a person's relationship with Torah, Baruch Hu, his relationship with Torah. The first essay that's in the Sefer is about mitzvah Siva Sefer Torah, which you point out, according to the Sefer Achinoch, can be accomplished nowadays by writing Sfarim. And that's a mitzvah not on the shul or the community, it's on each and every individual. And Rishakter also references it in his Agdama that each and every person has to have their own special chelik in Torah. You also talk about it in, the, in other spots as well. And I want to ask you, do you, are you able to find new pathways, open up new vistas? You already have a very structured and formal and beautiful safe that you really spill a lot of your yisodos into, but are you able to discover new ones and open your eyes to new things? And the reason why it's an important question is because Worthy asked someone else who was a young man, but he said, you know, I don't really have these you saw those or the ideas that really talk to me and then build. So how does a person go about finding their personal connections, their personal points in Torah that they really connect to, that they can find clues from if they don't already have it naturally? Okay, first, you have a lot of beautiful points in your question. Firstly, I think if I could go to one of the be- first things you said is that it is important for people to find their own clue. Like you said, that everybody has their... Um, their thing like in learning and uh, and to recognize that they have that capacity. And I think that the, the learning, again, going back to what we talked about even earlier, that you know, to me, that's what tethers you into a, a vibrant Jewish life. There's the ritual, but the learning is something that's because that's ultimately the Devar Hashem and that's what's connecting you to the generation. And I think it's important. Everybody has within them at whatever level, you know, to, uh, to find uh, the ideas and to find things that they're going to connect to and resonate with. And that's why it's important. I think to, I think it's important to expose yourself, you know, to, for one, to expose themselves. You know, the more you learn from different strands here, maybe this week you feel like opening this safer on Shabbos and this week that's safer. And I found I have certain strands that, you know, I say if it was Kadai just for one idea that I got that was able to use, you know, it's important because you get the leverage and, and, and gain insight from what other people have seen. But I think everybody can, will ultimately process things. And I do say, and find things that they connect to. And, it turns, and I do find you continually find, you know, you end up finding more ideas and more insights. And, and um, I do think as part of this, which also, uh, you know, you were touching on that towards the end of the question, is um, with writing, I think is an important vehicle. I think with people, you know, not that everyone has to prepare to necessarily write a safer, but it could be for a family, like it could be for yourself. But I think in writing, as part of learning, it gives a certain element of concreteness to the learning. And, um, and by writing notes, you know, whether it's writing notes as you're learning, not necessarily for safer right then, or just writing divrei Torah then and putting together, inevitably over time, things will come back and you'll connect and say, oh yeah, you know, that would be a nice addition to that. I remember seeing that. And I think when you write something, it stays with you that much. It really uh, becomes more, that much more a part of you. And uh, and stays with you that much more. So I, I do think there's a big value in in writing because it's a permanent. It causes you to focus on what you're learning, um, and to like I said, to memorialize it in that way. And so, you know, and I've seen different people. A friend of mine, um, his father-in-law passed away, and he put together a chovert to their family on Divrei Torah that he wrote in honor of his father-in-law. And he and it's, and it's a beautiful thing. And I look at it, it's such a treasure for the family. And it was just he started writing and. He, you know, took, it took him, I think he did actually over the course of the one year after the, after his father was Nifter, but, 
you know, it's just when you do things like that, it creates real heirlooms, but, but not just heirloom that you sit on, a, a sit on the shelf, but heirlooms that you can really use. And I think by writing, it just gives a certain permanent. And that, what I want to say, what you said before, writing opens up new vistas because you'll inevitably, it causes you to think of other things. Because firstly, a lot of times it causes, when you write things, it causes you to research things more because you'll say, okay, I read this. Where does this come from? And then you start to research more and you come across sources that you may not have gone to otherwise. And, and you'll say, well, I want to, how does this connect? Or what I find very important is, for example, if I was looking something up in a safer and you see footnotes in a safer and they would quote something else and I would never know to get to that other safe. But you look it up, but then the important, uh, is there's a tremendous value in, in seeing things inside with your own two eyes. So you'd look up and say, okay, it's based on that source. And then I would look up that source and I may have never come to that source otherwise. But all of a sudden you see that and that opens up a whole other thing. And then our footnotes there. And, and so it just opens your mind and gets you to places. But it's all because you were, you, the motivation was, okay, I want to see a source inside. I want to write. I want to write it. I want to bring it in. I don't want to just rely on, you know, and oftentimes it's important even on a technical level because sometimes things are misquoted. It might happen to me all, but sometimes somebody will quote a Gamar Nyavama's Lion Hay and it's really Samatayers. Just, you know, mistakes that happen because we're human beings. So that's also why it's important to check things up. So you see the exact source, but inevitably the correct source, but inevitably when you, I think that leads to opening new distance. As you see things, as you start writing and say, you know, let me flesh this out for myself. It'll take you places you may not have gotten to otherwise. And, uh, and then it kind of snowballs to an extent from there. You mentioned a few times your family, you give credit to your wife, you get nachas from your children. It's obviously something that we all yearn for to have Torah be a part of our home, a part of our family. Do you have any other tips or advice to people who want to be able to, on the one hand, create accomplishments for themselves in Torah, but also bring it back to their family, bring it back to their home? Uh, I think the, the most important thing, and this is what I've, in terms of when you want to um, learn yourself, try to pass on to your children, you know, you please God, is one of the most important things, which many people talk about, this isn't my, my answer, but it is by, you know, by showing an example in the house. And if your children see what's important to you, even without explaining and saying, sit down and do this or do that. But they see that you, and especially when you're in a work life, you know, to your, to your questions about the work life, when they see that you're tired and it's the end of the day and you've had a long, you know, a long work day, but you're not going to go to sleep without learning. And there's always something, you know, I have a friend of mine. I remember when I started working and I, I tried to use this as a mentor. He said, don't ever let a day go by, no matter how stressful you could be traveling to five different cities without seeing some new thought in Taurus, something you shouldn't put your hand down. And I remember I had this early on in my work career. And I think it's so critical. Some, there should be some, even though your mind is on it and you want to, you know, and there's, but always try to have that as a part of you that you, we should anyway, we're Mechayev too. But no matter how stressful or how much you're pulled into different directions, always make that a part of you. And I think if your kids see that, that it's such an important part of you, that's what gives you a certain Chiyut and it gives you a Hidra and a Nut. And that's kind of like your part of you. It's not saying I want to learn because, I'll, you know, I, I've got to learn today. I didn't learn, but it's, I want to learn today because that's what gives me a sequel kind of And that that's part of what, what gives you a certain sense of serenity and peace and accomplishment, then that's, the, first, I think that's important. They just see that in your life, work life, you know, Kovetim, again, it may shift and you may, but they know that that's what's important to you. And, and Shabbos, when you have a little more time that you're, that's where you're putting, in addition to being with the family and the kids, which is paramount, but that, that there's, they see that that's a priority in your life. And that that, I think, is, Number one, the number one way of teaching is just by, and then it puts a responsibility. It's a big offer on us. But, you know, if you feel your eyes closing at the end of the day and you feel you didn't get the, you know what? 
push yourself a little bit because if your child happens to walk through the living room or the den or wherever you are, and they sit without saying to them, that I think is very, very important. And I think and it's through the example, and then you hope you have those opportunities with the kids. And sometimes it could be more formal where you're sitting along with them and more informal around the table, walking to show, you know, different opportunities like that, where you hope that they then, you know, with them, you could give it over in a more frontal way or more direct way. Um, but I think it's just important that with that, that kids see that, you know, there's so, it's so easy to get wrapped up in work and there are demands and it's not, Parnassa, we have to, you know, you know, there, there has to be, um, you know, right? We believe that that's an ideal. That's you're supposed to be involved in, in being a farnes, your family, and you hope you have siyata dishmaya. And at the same point, there is that balance of, uh, of having that and that excitement, that that's something that, you know, that gives me that extra jolt during the day because I'm connected to something that's of a greater, you know, of a greater level. You mentioned the excitement, the passion, the motivation that it gives you. You also mentioned that you're working on a second volume of the Safer. You seem to mention, if I understood you correctly, that it's going to be smaller and you're not necessarily planning on publishing more. And I'm wondering what you see for yourself in the future, given the fact that this, these projects have given you such PS, given you such motivation over the years. How do you see yourself transitioning after the stage of the second Safer? Or even phrasing the question, why not continue to write more smart? Well, how do I, you know, let's, I, I have the second saver that I've been working on. And, it's, and even while you're in the process of running a saver, there are times where it's at the editors and that I'm not as involved in it. And then it comes back and then I become engrossed in it. And then there are times it goes back and forth. Um, so that's been something that's been a, been a big motivating factor to get out you know, these other essays, things that I wanted to write. I had notes about and And I, I was, this I was able to do in a much quicker time period because I already know how the, I want the layout to be, I, I read it with footnotes. Now, the first one was all handwritten, by the way. And then I had to get it typed by someone. Now, at least I'm able to type in Hebrew. So I'm able to type it up that way and lay it out in a certain way. And, um, you know, I have more of an eye as having been through the process. With that, and then there's a question becomes what happens after that second volume. Please, God, I am going to put that out. I, you know, I only want to write on things where I feel that there's a, uh, there's some toella to it, you know, not just to write for the sake of writing. So, you know, if there are other things that come up that I feel that I have something to write about that are important, then, then maybe there is something I would come to. I wouldn't say, you know, no out of hand, but at the same point I am, there, there are things that I haven't put into these farm that I just cut, you know, on a cutting floor, so to speak, that I said, you know, I, it doesn't fit into a certain thing. I don't have to just because I wrote it, even if I spend a lot of time as if I don't feel that it's of a certain nature that I want it to be, then I just left it out. So, but I think part of my motivation aside, you know, in addition to the writing is just trying to uh, cover as much and learn. There's so much to learn and there's always more to learn. And, but I think the setting the goals is important. I've set a, you know, a goal for my society, you know, uh, to get to enough. And so, you know, I don't want to leave this world. God should be, without having seen Sifra enough, you know, and then, and Mishnah, go to Mishnah's Kaseder. Please, God, I should be so far to go through shots. I would be, you know, I try, so I try to keep different things like that that are, and others from that I want to learn that as well. So, you know, a lot of times when I was in the writing phase, I wasn't able to give as much time to the other phase because I started to realize that I couldn't do everything, you know, in, in the amount of time. And there weren't enough hours in the day necessarily to work and to do a regular learning center and the writing. So I would shift sometimes and, and, you know, play with the time that way. As long as I knew that I was engrossed in something that had to do with, with learning, but I think it's just, again, goes back to setting goals and, and trying to create a discipline of, you know, this is what I, I want to do and what I'd like to get through. And so even if I'm not doing it for a safer per se, 
um, it's having those goals in mind. But I do think that the the writing and that, you know, I hope will, will be a part of me and, and uh, it's something that I encourage him. Even my son, I'll tell you just one example with my oldest son. He's now serving in Kavran now, actually, in Milouim. Uh, well, he was in yeshiva. He learned in, in the Hezer Yeshiva in Akro up north. And he had started to write his first year in yeshiva. And he was writing, he wrote on, on Chumash and on the holidays. And when he, on a Moadim, when he was in the army, in the Sadia, in his regular service, I asked him, I said, yeah, just send me the files. I didn't tell him what it was. And uh, he sent me the files and I got a hold of his Rebbe. And we actually put together a volume uh, of his essays on all of Sefer Bereshit and Moadim which is called Geshem Nedavot. Geshem is his name, Gabriel Shmuel Mendelssohn. His Rebbe came up with it with the title based on the post Kintayelim. And uh, so I hope maybe there'll be opportunities like that or other things to encourage because in that also I see with him that he's got this volume of what he put his heart and his kishkas into. And I remember surprising him with that at the time. Amen. And I said, you know, listen, so it gives, again, it gives that permanence. It gives something to write. You know, I've told my kids that you know, whenever you can, just write. It doesn't have to be, we're not looking on a stop clock and saying you have to come out with a safer, whether you do, you don't, but it's just to give yourself that motivation and, and more permanence to what you're learning. And that is a beautiful surprise that you did for your son. And I also really want to appreciate and thank you for the point that you made before about knowing when to stop. I think there is definitely something addicting about the creator's economy and creating content for the sake of creating content. And you're saying, no, no, no. If there is content that needs to be spread with the world, I'll spread it. And if not, then I'll do other things that are worth it for my time. So I, th I really appreciate that. Last question for today. I really appreciate all of the insights that you've given us so far, but I think it would be unfair to not talk a little bit about Aliyah. You mentioned before that as we have this conversation, you have two friends, two sons, one in Gaza, one in Severone. And Aliyah is a big topic. There's a lot to talk about. Some of these issues might seem a little bit petty. Some of that natural Aliyah discussions might seem a little petty in light of the current situation when your sons are on the front line. But maybe I'll just phrase the question like this. How would you connect our discussion about learning Torah, sharing Torah, in addition to the practical point which you made before, the practical connection between being able to work the American hours here in Israel, but what in your mind is the connection between being able to being Margaret's Torah and being Aliyah? So I think that there's a, um, I'm glad that you asked the question. And I think you're right. I think that Aliyah, there's much that we could talk about for a long time and uh, is something that's so important. And, you know, especially being here at a time like we are right now, we're recording this during during this war, um, you know, having a son that I just saw on the end of last week for the first time. And and he was in Gaza for almost seven weeks straight, you know, and Saji and other areas, places that you were reading about in the news. And, you know, you just, Feel, then you feel really inadequate. When I see him and the other Hyaline, my other son, another home, and you say, you know, my, my oldest son was supposed to have gotten married four days after that terrible Shabbos, and he got called in right away to me and limb and has been doing, you know, very important work in, in Yudav Shamrat. And so firstly, you realize who the real heroes are, you know, that are walking among us. Um, and I think that it just kind of being here and, and tying it into the learning as well, I think it ties you in to connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu that you can't have outside of Israel. And I think that, um, you know, I don't think it's uh, for nothing that, you know, there's things of Chazal and the Masefik Tuvat of, you know, the the the, the, ma'alot, the Ma'alas of living in Eretz Yisrael. And I think there's just, it just makes things out much more real when you're, when you're learning things and you feel that, you know, not only being proximity-wise, closer to where the Tanayim lived and, and where our Vata Oma lived. You know, I saw my son at St. Chevron. I stopped on one of his um, missions. He stopped by Marat Machela and, and Davar Minchan. I thought to myself, can you imagine what, what our Avot and Imad are thinking? Here come our, my children are coming to Davin as they're protecting me. And then, you know, 
thousands of years just get bridged. And then send and my son has been in Gaza, who's, you know, been on the front lines and at the forefront of what's happening there. And you see, and you see that they feel that commitment to Am Yisrael in a way that's so um, in, intertwined with their kishkas, with their neshama, you know, to be there and to say, I'm, I, I'm carrying, it's no less than them feeling they're carrying the weight of the Jewish people in the state of Israel on their shoulders and that they know this is their role and this is what they need to do. And it's, and I think when you have that kind of a framework and the context, Judaism just takes a whole other, takes on a whole other dimension because you feel like this is where things are happening. This is a land. They are attending parent. And if this is where I am and this is a commitment I have to the land and there's an Eretz Yisrael and Torah Yisrael and Am Yisrael, it just, I think it puts the learning and everything that you're doing in Judaism in a whole other level and context. And you just feel that Tibor that much more Intensely. So when you're learning, you know, you're learning in the other, you know, okay, and you feel that a Kaddish Baruch the Shrina is more present. And I think you just, you just that much more connected, you know. And then when I see these soldiers now, and it's Katonti to even be able to talk about them, we can't come to the Nifar al Bakrad lane with these soldiers, no matter where they are in a spectrum. Anybody that's willing to fight for Am Yisrael in the way that they're doing it is, uh, you know, as is, is, is of a Mila that we can't even approach. But I think so when you're connected at that level, and then especially when you have the religious dimension on top of it, it's just, it, it's, it's, it's alive and real in a way that can't exist outside of Israel, in my mind, at that same level. Of course, there's learning an incredible Torah, but there's a reason why the, why the Pasuk of Kimitzion Tate Zetara is, uh, you know, there's a real truth to that. And that's okay, ZB. ZB, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate the things that you said, the long, slow journey to the safe fair the personal connection, the Torah Eretz Yisrael that you are able to be Zoha to be lived. I received a great deal of inspiration and I'm sure our listeners will too. Thank you, Yaakov. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I just want to say kolakava to you because I see how how much it occupies your mind in terms of living a life of meaning and balancing different worlds. And I think that, you know, you're thinking about this at your stage, I think just portends very well, please God, for the kind of home that you will continue to build. And I think people will gain from seeing people like you, like yourself, that are so committed to finding, to, to keeping close to the balance of Torah and, and Avoda. And, uh, and I think you just will afford people that opportunity to strive for higher and to find, you know, find ways of bringing meaning into their life. Thank you, Zivi. Thank you so much for tuning in to Start Tank. If you're still listening at this point, that means that you've enjoyed. Please take a moment to give us a five-star review, make sure that you're subscribed, and share this episode with a few friends. I want to thank our production team, Yoni Schwartz, Yitzhak Schmidman, and Yossi Book. Until next week, keep on steigen, Chevra. Okay.